there is the legacy that we talk about in the finance space of the, the portfolio, the investments, the estate, and all that. So that's great. Okay. But there's also the legacy of the lessons. There's the legacy of your philosophy, your perspective, that when we can allow that to continue on in the generations, that's a life that outlives you. Pull up a seat to the table. You are listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, where we elevate successful entrepreneurs into powerful leaders doing work that really matters. After working with countless entrepreneurs, I've noticed a theme. No matter the level of success achieved, they get to this place where they're asking, now what? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact. You want to do work that means something, and you want to be known for it, too. Somewhere along the way, it wasn't just about growing a business anymore. It became time to build your legacy. Plus, building the dream at the expense of everything else that matters, family, freedom, joy, is no dream at all. The Luminary Leadership Podcast is where industry leaders come to break through to their next level of achievement, purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and I'm here to raise up this generation of leaders, us, so we can do our part in raising up the next generation of little luminaries. Get ready as we break down all things entrepreneurial leadership in a way that isn't being talked about. We both know you don't just need another strategy. It's time for your breakthrough. One of my all-time favorite things about having this podcast, it's the people that I get to have on and the conversations that I get to have and the depth of wisdom and possibility that comes from these chats. And this is one of my favorite ones because Mel Abraham, you probably know him. I have crossed paths with Mel kind of like ships in the night for the last probably eight years. And today was the day that it finally came together and we we're actually able to sit down and chat. And if you are someone that is feeling this pull and you are saying, okay, I know I've been in the business building mode for a long time now, but am I really setting myself up for legacy? Am I leaning into the possibility of affluence? And that's his sweet spot. After a really scary cancer battle just a few years ago, it woke Mel up to this idea of affluence and really financial liberation for himself, for his family. And that's what he's breathing into us today is this idea of how you can have your business and you can strengthen your business, but what's happening outside the walls of your business that is also providing freedom and possibility and cash flow into your world to set you up for strength and legacy and possibility beyond the right now. He also talks a lot about how legacy starts right now. I think sometimes we think of it as this future thing, this concept that we're working really hard for right now, but we will have someday. And that's why today's conversation is really going to wake you up and shake you up and open your mind to the possibility to how you're leading in business and how you're leading your family and what you're leaving behind. Mel has always been a wizard in the financial world. He's bought and sold numerous multi-million dollar businesses for himself as well as his clients. He's worked alongside incredible people like Ariana Huffington and Shalene Johnson and Brendan Burchard and Tony Robbins. That's how I was first, first met Mel was at a Brendan Burchard conference. He's a certified CPA, so he brings with him that strength in that category of business, but he used that to leverage becoming a financial expert and really weaving in the humanity of what matters most. I think you're going to be surprised by today's conversation when you realize it's not just about money, it's about the moments. And that's one of the things I love most about Mel. 
and he has some extra insight and wisdom for those of us that are raising leaders of our own with stories from his own experiences and mistakes in raising up his son. Oh, and I just wanted to note, this conversation is directly in line with the work we're doing at the Luminary Leadership Company to give you the tools as the leader to raise up your business to the place where you want it to be, to have the freedom and the possibility and the tools to then raise up your kids into the leaders that they're called to be. This is big work. This is important stuff. So if you haven't yet, make sure you head on over to luminaryleadershipco.com forward slash unhurried. We have a free resource that's going to help you do just that. So luminaryleadershipco.com forward slash unhurried. You are called to incredibly big things and it can feel heavy and it can feel like there are not enough hours in the day or that you don't have clarity on what to do first and how to do it and how to lead in both of those spaces. We've got you. So let's talk to the man who is the leader of thought leaders and get to one of the most powerful business and life conversations that you've ever heard. Okay, Mel Abraham. Okay, Mel, so years ago, I was at one of Brendan's conferences and I'm sitting in my seat and I have to happen to be pretty close to an aisle. And this is one of his, I think it may have been HPA or something. So there's like thousands of people there. So it's a big conference. And I'm looking and I see this guy like kind of crouched down, slinking through the audience, like keeping an eye on things. And my husband leans over to me and he says, why do I get the feeling like that dude could snap me in half? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I don't think you're wrong. And that dude was you. And that was my first witness to Mel uh, in all his glory. And I've kind of watched quietly from the sidelines as you've continued to grow and scale. That was years ago. So I'm so happy to have you on the Luminary Leadership Podcast. Thanks for being with me, Mel. Oh my God. So glad to be here, Elizabeth. It's, this is this is cool. And I had no idea that. Yeah. Um, I'm the stalker <laughs> in the audience and uh, it's not exactly the gig for an accountant, but it is, I have a very unconventional journey. So I, well, I'm looking forward to digging into it because I think my audience is going to really resonate with you. And there's so much that I want to pepper you about today because your mission is right in line with what we teach. And, but I was saying, you know, before we hit record, the angle you take is so powerful. And I want to bring that to our listeners because I want to give them every possible tool in their toolkit to be able to, you know, leave their legacy and, and make their imprint on the world. We got one shot. So before we go there, I'd love for, you know, all of our people listening in to get to know the Mel behind the bio, right? The, um, you know, they'll, they'll hear about that in the intro, but they heard about that in the intro, but what led you down this path and why is this work that you're doing? Why is it so meaningful to you? Wow. This is a, such a good question. I got exposed to entrepreneurship in a sense, accidentally at 11 years old. I was sitting with my dad watching a movie about Harry Houdini with Janet Lee and T- Tony Curtis. And I got fascinated with this guy that no box, no chains would hold. And so I started getting fascinated with magic. And I was learning magic at 9, 10, 11 years old. And I happened to be at the magic shop every day during the summer when I was 11 years old. And spend spend the time there and I'm talking and one guy comes in and says is talking about how he did a gig and I asked the owner after he left I said what the heck is a gig and he said you get paid to do shows I said wait 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 
instead of me coming here, I can go out there and I can do a show and I can get paid. And so at 11 years old, my very first entrepreneurial endeavor was to do magic shows for kids' birthday parties. I did half hour show for $50. Now we're talking about 11 years old was 1972. So $50 for 30 minutes was pretty doggone good for an 11 year old. But it, it gave me the gift of seeing that you can take what you love and you can affect people's lives and you can create a life out of it. And that stuck with me to a point where I always knew that somehow, some way I was going to do my own thing. I wanted to write my own rules. I was never good with rules. I was always good at those don't apply to me or they're just suggestions, right? And uh, that's kind of the way I live. But, you know, fast forward, I went to school. I took a traditional approach. I got an accounting degree. I became a CPA. But it wasn't very long at working for one of the downtown firms where I started to realize I'm meant for more. And a lot of people, I think, are yearning for that, this thing that's pulling and tugging at them and we keep suppressing it. And I think it's a mistake. I think that that we should let our light shine. And so I literally, I quit and said, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to take these skills. I'm going to take these talents. I'm going to continue to develop them. And I know that I want to help people light up their dreams again. I want, I want to help people build their businesses. I want to help people build their lives so they can live fully expressed. And, and so that's kind of what led me down this pathway. And yet for what I'm doing today, more specifically, two years ago, three years ago, uh, now I, I had shut down my businesses because three years ago I was traveling, I was speaking, everything was going great, business was good. And uh, they found a five centimeter tumor in my bladder. And, uh, and I'm like, <laughs> wait, I'm not a drinker, not a smoker. I, I live a pretty healthy life. I work out all the time. How is this? No one in my family's ever had cancer. And we never got the answer. But the fact of the matter is that they stared at me as I was going in for surgery. And it turned out that it was a seven and a half centimeter tumor and said, it's on the prostate. We might have to take the prostate out. We might have to put a tube in and a bag for the kidney. And if it's bad, you lose your bladder. And so like I'm going into surgery going, life's completely shifted. Life's completely changed for me. And when I come out of surgery, I don't know what it's going to be like. And, you know, I'm, I'm married and I have a, an older son and, and his wife. And it's like, how do, we, how do we move through this? And so I shut down my businesses and said, I got to focus on healing. And so that was June, 2019. Three surgeries, four tumors, 46 treatments. We've been clean and clear for two years. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm good, but we battled it because I was able to focus on it. The, the, the key was this. I fought the cancer physically, emotionally, medically, energetically, all of it psychologically, but I didn't fight it financially. And then Coming off the cancer, we had the pandemic, and I watched people struggle. I watched people sit back and say, I don't have anything. I don't have the ability to sustain myself. We lost our job. We lost the business. We lost this. And, and, and I said, that's when it dawned on me that it doesn't need to be that way. We're just not taught this. We're not taught how to use business and to create financial independence and and. And it shouldn't be that way. No one should have suffered during that time. 
And that's what allowed me to look at it because I couldn't make sense of the cancer looking back and trying to find out why I got it. But I can look forward now and say, if the cancer is the trigger and the catalyst for me to be able to help people find security, find independence, find legacy, then the cancer was worth it. And that's what's got me out here doing this in this new season of my life. Isn't it amazing how we get thrown these curveballs that we can't understand the root of them or why they happen, but then in hindsight, we get the gift of a perspective that we would have never had access to had we not walked through that valley. And now the work that you're doing isn't, it's not even just a perspective for yourself, Mel. It's the ripple effect that is now going to affect generations because of the work that you're doing with these people that you are serving. So, uh, you know, that's it's like my husband said, snapping in half. You snapped cancer in half. You did it. <laughs> you you absolutely destroyed it, which is such a beautiful gift. But now it's it's what you're doing from there. You know how we face those challenges when we we come up against them, and I think that's a, a big thing too. There are so many entrepreneurs and you know high level entrepreneurs successful people successful thought leaders who front facing have it all together yeah. right they they have the successful business they have successfully kept up with the joneses that facade is there and and it looks really good and even um in many ways their metrics are strong but when you peel back the curtain on their lives it's messy back there yeah. so I want to know, you know, in you working alongside a lot of people in thought leadership or as entrepreneurs or whomever, uh, what are some of the mistakes you see entrepreneurs making when it comes to creating that affluence you talk about or actually attaining true freedom in their lives, not just the illusion of freedom because I have the successful business and I fly first class and this and that, but like they actually have a freedom that that's rooted in who they are. It's not just a tangible freedom of their schedule, but a freedom in their spirit to be able to do something like you did and say, hey, I can shift my energy and focus it here. Or if God forbid something happens, I am leaving something for my family. So I'd, I'd love to know what you've witnessed as some of those mistakes along the way, or maybe you made them yourself. I don't know. Well, no, most of what I talk about is because I, I screwed it up at some point. And, and so here's, yeah. here's the thing. I think the biggest mistake that I see for most entrepreneurs, especially in the, in the thought leader space is this, is that we come to a business and say, I want to go have an impact. I want to have freedom and I want to have control. And so you go into business thinking that those things are going to happen. And you're certainly having an impact all around you, but the freedom and control never come. We end up on a treadmill. We end up running and we end up going, 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 going. And we, we're running until we hit breakdown or burnout. Because the only way that we think that we can uh, find that magic at the end of the rainbow is to run fast or hard enough that maybe we'll catch it one day. And, and that's a problem. The, the, the business, like it or not, the business was never meant to give you freedom. It just never was. The business was solely meant to create a solution, to have an impact on people, and to generate cash flow. And what most entrepreneurs don't do is then realize that it's that cash flow that we use to build what I call a money machine outside the business that you get your freedom from. And so as an entrepreneur, we have to approach it, I believe, in the sense of saying, this is for impact. This is for cash flow. This is to create solutions. 
And that is also meant to feed my future. And we have to plan that into the business plan. Otherwise, you just have a glorified job. You're going to keep running and you're going to have to keep running because you get nothing at the end of the day unless on an off chance you get a chance to build something that you can sell and get a windfall. But most thought leadership businesses aren't sellable. And most businesses, for that matter, aren't sellable if they're not set up right. And I said, so for me, I think that's the biggest uh, thing that most entrepreneurs, uh, biggest mistake that most of them make is coming to it, assuming that all of it's going to be coming from the business and it's not. We need to build a money machine outside the business. Okay, this is perfect because I want to go deeper here. You've already kind of read my mind. Is that one of your like secret skill sets in, you know, <laughs> in addition to the many others? Uh, because I'm thinking, I'm already having this feeling that some of the people listening in and some of our peers and, and the people that tune into the show, that they might be feeling a little bit found out listening to this conversation, like, oh, crap, that's me. Or, or wondering, like, okay, this sounds good, Mel, but how am I ever going to break up out of the weeds? Like, my business is so demanding. It's such a beast at this juncture. It is how I put food on the table. Um, I want to think about a brighter future, but I don't know where to start. So talk about what you just described, that it, it, that it isn't all dependent on the business. There has to be some, some cash flow coming from other places and the ability to get up out of the business to be able to do these things. Yeah. So, so the first thing is if, and I think this is, this is important today, more so than ever, the idea of having multiple income streams is no longer a luxury. It's a requirement. Uh, whether you have a job or whether you're an entrepreneur, if if all we do is create a single, even as an entrepreneur, even in the thought leader space, if, if I have one product and that's the only way that I make money, then you're in jeopardy. You've got a single point of failure that when it goes out of style, when it, you can't deliver it. Anymore. I look at so many of my colleagues and friends when I was part of the National Speakers Association. And when 9-11 happened, they saw themselves solely as a leader, as a, as a speaker. Well, there weren't any conferences. When pandemic happened, there weren't any conferences. But when 9-11 happened, we didn't have virtual stages. So they were completely out of business. And their sole source of income was getting on a plane, flying to a place, speaking to an audience, getting on another plane and doing it again. And that was gone. And so, so I think that, that we need to think in terms of as much as in investment portfolios think in terms of diversifying assets to reduce risk, from an individual standpoint, we need to look at in terms of diversifying income streams to, to, to reduce risk. And so with that, if your primary source of income is your business or your job, it doesn't matter, you have to set it up, and this can be tough for some people, in a way that there is a line item specifically earmarked for you to put money away to start investing to create a money machine outside of it. It becomes a line item, a requirement. And that means you got to manage your expenses. That means you got to look at how to scale your, your, your revenues. And you got to look at how you're living your life. There's one other thing that I think is a uh, a challenge for a lot of people, especially in the social media world, 
is that it's more important that you live a rich life than it is to look wealthy in the eyes of people that don't matter. And too often, we're trying to make sure that we can paint that false facade on the social media screens that we see and think that that looks good, but it's not. So most millionaires, most financially independent people, they are not parading their Lambos, their jets, their yachts. They're, they're living quietly in contentment, in gratitude, in appreciation, and in service. Oh, and real quick, I have to tell you guys, if you haven't thought about joining Camp Luminary, first of all, we up-leveled it. It's now the very first mastermind for entrepreneurial parents and their kids. I understand what it feels like to feel guilty when you are working, like you should be with the kids, and stressed when you're with the kids because you should be working, and feeling split in two, like your identity is just cut in half. And on top of that, feeling like you're at max capacity, just stressed and spread thin and hurried, and you know that's not the life you want to live, and you know that's not what's best for your kids, but how do you get out of it? How do you raise up out of it? And then you look at your kids and you think, man, are they being influenced by their environment? Are we even connected anymore? Am I even able to influence them positively to support them to tap into who they're called to be? I see insecurities rising up. I want them to be confident and courageous. But the how, right? The how. This experience at camp is literally going to have you come in to camp one way and leave as a different person, your children as different people, and as a different family with a whole new trajectory. We are designing camp and the mastermind surrounding it. So on both ends, included with camp, this is the only time we're going to do this because we are a mastermind company. We have wonderful masterminds that thrive and it's our jam. So we were like, how can we make sure that camp is the most powerful thing for these families, for these children and these leaders? So we are on either side bookending it with a mastermind leading up to it and coming out of it. This is an investment in your family's future. This is an investment of your quality of life and your calling. This is an investment in your children. And guess what? The success of your business is going to directly follow the level of intention you bring into your home. And that lack of fulfillment or that stress or feeling like you have to hit that next goal and not wondering why it's not, it's just not sitting well. Like you're just, you don't feel satisfied or content or you feel like you just have to hurry into the next thing. You got to flip this thing on its head and learn what is required of you. What tools do you need to equip yourself to model leadership for your children so they can become the leaders they're called to be? Get yourself to camp luminaryleadershipco.com forward slash camp. Rooms are going super fast. We're now opening it up to the public and it will fill in a heartbeat. So if this is on your heart, if you feel called to this, be there with us. We have amazing guest speakers. You won't believe the people that you're going to be sitting at picnic tables with, a lot of people whose podcasts you listen to and seeing them speak on stages. Get yourself there. Trust me, you will be happy that you did. My husband, Michael, and I have been talking lately. We're in the thick of the stage of three young kids. You know, we have multiple businesses we're running and just a lot of, you know, irons in the fire and just kind of that chaotic stage of life with a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. It's like a circus all day, every day. We Um, uh, affectionately call that in the finance world, the messy middle. 
Oh yeah, that's where we're at. So, but it's a treasure and we're trying to glean all the wisdom we can along the way. And one of the things that we've come to and that we keep talking about is we want to live a life that feels better than it looks. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to have the pressure of having to show up for and put up some kind of highlight reel or facade. One, because I just don't want to. And two, because it's, not a true representation of me and my life. You can only put so much out into the world. And I don't want my business dependent on social media. Like we've built completely independent of it. To me, it's just a gravy train. It's additional. Um, But I see a lot of people building, especially in the thought leader space or in the influencer space where they're so freaking dependent on a tool that can be ripped out from under them tomorrow. And then they have no diversification. They have no control. They have no way to to bring in um, cash flow for their family. And they can go from hero to zero in five minutes or less. Um, But I'd love to talk about that a little more too, because- there, there are a lot of metrics by today's standards and society standards, you know, in the entrepreneurial space, in the thought leader space, whatever, that everybody harps on and focuses on. Followers being one of them, which last time I checked, you can't take the number of followers to Chase Bank and be like, I'm going to trade in my 1 million followers for 1 million bucks. It doesn't translate. Um, launch numbers. I hear all the time people talk about how much they did in their launch, but they don't want to have to talk about how much they paid out to ads and how much they paid out to affiliates and how much they paid out to team, but they want to be able to say they did a seven-figure launch or whatever. Um, how your book ranks, all these things. And, they're, and some of these do hold value. I'm not saying that yeah. they... Um, they aren't things to focus on or work on or develop. But I'm curious by your standards, by the work you're doing in in affluence and legacy and possibility for these people, what are the metrics that really matter? What are the things that if you had to put it on, of course, there are things that you can't measure that matter, like your joy and your health. Like once your health is gone, you have a quick wake up call as to what's important in life. Oh, yeah. But the met- the metrics you can put on paper, what are some that we should be looking at um, to start to measure outside of the BS metrics of, are we on the right track? Are we developing ourselves in the right way? You know, where should we be putting our energy in the entrepreneurial journey and all of that? So I think the the first thing you need to, to be really clear on anytime you make a deal. And when I say a deal, that means giving of yourself is what the currency is you're trading in. Because, and I'll, I'll do this from an investment standpoint. The house I live in is a beautiful house. It's an expensive house. It's on the beach here in Laguna Beach. And it is the worst investment I could have made. The worst, because it's tied up a lot of value and is not earning anything. And I said, well, why would you do it? And people asked, you know, you, it's, not, it's not necessarily like you. And I said, because I saw the way my wife, Stephanie, felt when she stood in the grand room and when she stood in the kitchen. And so my currency wasn't a return on investment. I consciously made a decision with her that we were going to be in this place because it was going to give us an experience of life that we wanted, that we cherished, and that would bring us closer not because it's expensive, but because it was the lifestyle we were looking for. And it's this idea, and this is why I say wealth is a statistic. And I don't believe we want wealth. We want richness. 
And richness is a feeling, it's experiences, it's memories, and, and we get to define that richness any way we want. And so this was a investment, if you will, into the richness of our us experiencing life. So I think the first thing is to be really clear what currency we're, we're trading in. The second is that, and this kind of came out of the cancer too, in the sense that I realized, oh, you know, you tell you, they, they tell you, you only have limited time. And until you're staring at limited time, you don't believe them. I believe them. I believe them now. And I said, oh my gosh, I don't know how limited it is. Hopefully it's got a lot more legs on it, but we each have a certain number of slices of life. And so I believe that rather than us measuring our wealth in dollars, that we measure it in time, that we measure it based on how much time I control of my life. Because I have a lot of friends that have, that they're worth quarter billion dollars, half a billion dollars, but they're miserable and they don't control their time. And if they don't control their time, guess what? To me, they're poor. I control all of my time. So that would be kind of the the foundational element of sitting back and saying, okay, how much time do I control? Which then lends itself to saying this, is that if I'm going to make a purchase, if I'm going to make an investment, if I'm going to go into into a, a project, how much time is it going to take from me And is that transaction worthwhile? Because too often we're so caught up in saving money, getting money, that we will waste our time to do it. And it should be the other way around because money, there's a reason they call it cash flow. It's flowing all around us and it's circulating and we can always generate more money. We can always get more money. We can always do something for that. But there's nothing you can do to put more slices of life into that. So we better spend them wisely. Um, mm. So I don't know if that answers the question directly, but it's it's the first place that I go when someone says, hey, I'm going to take this thing on. And so hold on. But then the second thing, then the next thing that I think we all should be doing is in, in 2009, I was... I was right. I was on a mountain bike ride on the pavement because I was riding to the gym. I was just had a bad conversation. So I was angry. I was distracted. I was doing things and I'm riding down the hill and and I'm trying to get as much speed as I possibly can so I can go on the uphill side and coast. Well, my shoelace got caught. I clipped the brake. I flipped the bike. It came down on my head. I was completely out cold. I woke up with a grade four concussion. I was stuttering. I had no feeling on the right side. And I had a dear, dear friend who had retired at 35 years old come over. He says, I'm taking you to lunch. And so there I was in a neck, neck brace stuttering. And we're sitting across the table from each other at lunch. And he looks at me and he says, how much is enough? And I go, what are you talking about? He says, how much is enough? The fact of the matter is, is the reason you got on this bike accident is because you were angry. You were distracted. You were just running. You were running. And you don't have a clue at where your finish line is, do you? And how many of us are on this treadmill without an understanding of what the life is we're trying to create? 
And so I think one of the, the first things to do before we get to the metrics really is say, is, and if you're in a committed relationship, you do this with your spouse, with your significant other, with your partner, and you sit back and say, what's the life we want? Not how we're going to get it. That's a separate question. But what's the life we want to create? What are the experiences? Do we want to travel all the time? Do we want to live in a, in a teepee in Montana? Do we want to live on a yacht in Monaco? What is it? Because then at least we know what the finish line is and we know what the target is. But too often we get into a game and we don't even know what the finish line is. So there's no way to win the game. There's no way to know that we got there. And in the process, we stress the hell out of ourselves um, because maybe we already passed the finish line. We don't even know it. So I, I would sit down and figure out what that life is. And we do this in this in a process that I call the affluence visioning process. But then, and you can then turn around and say, great, that's the life. What's the price tag to get there? And now we have something to plan against to try and achieve that through the business, through our other endeavors, through the income streams. And, and now we at least know where we're going and we can measure ourselves of how close we are. We can always change the target. But if we don't set a target at first, we don't know what trajectory we're going on. Absolutely. And I think an important piece of that when you get to the how process is saying, okay, I have to make this how unique to me. I can't take someone else's cookie cutter how and apply it to me because they might have different values. They might have different priorities. They might not be in a season of life like I am where my kids are still at such dependent ages. You know what I mean? So it's like, how can I make sure that the how doesn't come at the sacrifice of the granular of the day-to-day, the moments that you talk about, the memories I'm creating, because then what was it all for? If you get to the, the yacht in Monaco and you're like, oh, it all sucked the whole way there and I've lost all my relationships and I'm unhealthy and I'm unfulfilled. So I, I totally agree with you. I, uh, I was speaking yesterday and we're talking about purpose and money. And, and I said, we get all caught up in this whole idea of trying to figure out what our purpose is. And I, and I, and I, I totally believe, I go, I think our purpose isn't just one. And it's not the purpose that matters as much as it's the pursuit of purposefulness of living with the intention. And, and so when we define that, like you said, in your way, what is it for you in this season? And you're on that pursuit of purposefulness for this season. It feels good because it's in alignment versus like, well, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, you went to school for this, just keep following the rules. And here go the rules again. I, I'm not good with the rules. Um, but I think you define it for yourself. And, and I think you're, you're right on. And too often we'll take on what social media says, what the media says, what society says, what our parents say, what the colleges said, and say, oh, that's what accountants do. That's what doctors do. That's what these folks do. So I should do that. No, wait a second. Be okay with saying, that doesn't feel right for me. Yeah. And you talk about the rules and I laugh because one, someday in the future, you'll hear my book title that I've come out with and it'll be right 
right up your alley because it's all about breaking rules. Because I think about the people that I admire in all categories of life, like my grandmother and how she raised her seven kids or the people that are in positions of true affluence and power that I actually respect that have true leadership and not just the illusion of it. When I think about how the, the how, they broke the rules. They broke the mold. They didn't follow any specific, hey, these are the metrics you have to check off. It was by their standards, by their values, by their quality of life. And so I'm, I'm right there with you. It's why I was completely unemployable when I brief time worked in corporate was because I was like, oh, you're telling me what to do? Like, that's charming. I'm going to do it the exact opposite way you said just because you told me to do it. <laughs> Uh, I get so, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, just depending on what you're doing with your life, I guess. Um, we work with a lot of successful entrepreneurs who, I mentioned this to you before we hit record, who are called to both leadership and business, you know, their mission there and their mission within their family. Like it's not good enough for them to just find some level of success in their business. They want impact. They want um, the ripple effect. They want to be a thought leader, or it's not good enough to just raise good kids. We're going along with the flow of the river and what everybody else in society is doing and, you know, leaning into mediocrity and all of that. They're, they're called to raise leaders. And that's a tall order when you're you're called to both of those things. And I think the concept of legacy really speaks to them because it applies in both of those worlds. But for some, it feels really far away. Um, you talk about living a life that outlives you. And when I read that on your site, I was like, bingo, that's exactly what we're trying to capture in the work we're doing. And it resonates with me, but I know it'll resonate with our listeners too, because of how we're trying to guide them and listen, you know, and lead them. The ideas of generational wealth or riches, as you say, or or true freedom or prolificacy in your work or impact, um, being a leader of leaders, not just how did I become a leader, but how how did I see that in the people that I serve, whether it's my own kids or people, my clients or the people that tune into my show or whatever in business and at home. Can you speak more to this idea of living a life that outlives you? I think that's a concept that like will hit with people, but maybe go a little deeper on it. What do you mean by it? What does that look like? And and what's the power of that? Yes. So when I first met, my wife's from Philly. So when I first met her and I was talking about legacy and all that stuff, she thought, because she's from Philly, she thought I wanted like a Rocky statues somewhere. And I have a- Is she wrong though? Is she wrong? No. Well, a statue would be nice. I did tell her when I passed that we're going to stuff me and put me in the bedroom. So I'm always watching over her. Said, <laughs> Creepy, but I like it. Yeah, she, she said the same thing. <laughs> so um, here's, here's my definition of legacy, because I don't believe legacy is something we got to wait to die to create. I actually believe that legacy is created in the moment. When we interconnect with someone, whether it's our child, whether it's our spouse, whether it's an employee, whether it's a customer, whether it's a stranger, we have the ability to shift perspective, shift attitude, and change a life. The importance of that moment is a legacy moment. And so when we come at it from the perspective of understanding that each moment matters, And I'm going to put everything into it because the string of moments that I put together is the legacy that will continue to live on long after I'm gone. So 
there is the legacy that we talk about in the finance space of the the portfolio, the investments, the estate, and all that. So that's great, okay? But there's also the legacy of the lessons. There's the legacy of your philosophy, your perspective, that when we can allow that to continue on in the generations, that's a life that outlives you. But I also think that when it comes, because I'm a money guy, when it comes to money, the more important thing is is one of the the first questions that I ask and and all of us should be asking is when you turn around and say, I want to have a million dollar business. My first question is why? We need to understand the why before we worry about the how and the how much. Because when we give money a greater purpose, our money will give us a greater purpose because we have to rise to that purpose. And so when we live by virtue of a greater purpose, a why, then we make choices and decisions that feed that. Those things last more than the money in the bank account. And so it comes from a place of generosity. It comes from a place of service. It comes from a place of of giving and openness. And I think that's the important thing that starts to allow us to live a life that outlives us. Yeah, I created a money machine. We did it. And when God forbid when I'm gone, it it takes care of my wife, Stephanie. And God forbid when she's gone, it takes care of Jeremy and Cammy, my son and his wife. And then my, my granddaughter, Emily. And, and literally, if done right, we have changed, we have changed the financial structure of all of the Abrahams on down. But the more important thing, and I tell this to parents all the time, you do not ever transfer assets to a child before you transfer skill sets to the child. And so when we turn around and and do this, then I need to transfer knowledge, understanding, perspective, philosophy, values, beliefs, and those get passed down. And we get to live through. I, I, I won't be around to hear it, but I hope one day my little granddaughter, Emily, says it's because granddad did it. And, and that's, I think, the way we need to live. And the money is just the fuel. The money's never a purpose. It's just a tool. It's a fuel. It's, it's that. And so we look at it and say, how do I use this to perpetuate that greater purpose? It's not about the buying power of the money. It's more about the deliverance of the enriching of lives with the money that matters. And when we look at building wealth and wealth creation and businesses from that perspective, the profitability becomes the byproduct of serving a higher good. And I know that's blasphemy for an accountant to be talking about going, wait, 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 wait. You know, you're not just talking about the bottom line. No, I'm not. Because the bottom line is impacted by these things. Yeah. Yeah. You're the second accountant I know, or CPA, I should say, that has this heart because my mom is a CPA. She still runs her business to this day. And we've always joked that she's um, like a therapist or a counselor in a CPA's body because her purpose is so much greater than that bottom line and and numbers and everything. She does her work through the vessel of, of that channel. 
and I resonate so much. I wrote down a lot of the things you said. I loved the piece, especially because we're speaking to so many entrepreneurial parents, Mel, of don't transfer assets to the child before skill sets. And that's one of the things in, you know, just witnessing my mom, that was one of my greatest gifts was growing up with entrepreneurial parents. I would do my homework at the conference table while they were meeting with clients. And so I learned so much. And one of the things I witnessed when my mom was managing people's trusts or whatever it might be, oftentimes that work wasn't done and it was catastrophic, catastrophic when these kids would, you know, lose their, their guide in life and get all this money and have no idea how to go forward with it in a powerful way for them. It would destroy them. This came about for me. uh, So I was a single full-time dad for my son at five and a half years old. I had two boys come to me, uh, two sons. I call them boys because I'm older now, but uh, two sons come to me after their mom passed away and they were worth $5 million. I said, what do we do? And in having a conversation with them, I didn't know them at the time. I find out that dad passed away five years earlier. When dad passed away five years earlier, the family was worth $180 million. They wiped out $175 million in five years. Mind you, if I just do some simple math, $180 million at 5% would give you $800,000 a month without ever touching the $180 million. So you got to try really hard to lose $175 million. Now, Jeremy had heard that and he, he said, why does that happen? I said, because we get so caught up in acquiring, achieving, and accumulating and then saving it so we can pass it on, that we never give the the most important thing, and that is passing on the knowledge and the skills to deal with it. And so these kids and mom, it was a traditional household. Dad handled everything. They got into bad investments. They got bad advice. They had people that stole from them. All these things because they weren't given the skill sets and they wiped out something that should have just completely transformed the generations to come. And, and it's, it's a sad story, but it's, it's the thing that we see more often, you know, that most, most millionaires are first generation millionaires, meaning that it wasn't given to them, wasn't inherited. It wasn't a lottery winning. They made it themselves. By the second generation, 70% of it is gone. We don't transfer the skill sets. It's a mistake. Yeah. It's the crux of why we're doing what we're doing with this shift into supporting these entrepreneurial families, not just to make the money to pass on or have the business to pass on, but how can you, one, how can we raise ourselves up in leadership so that we can model it for our kids, not just pay lip service to them as to what they should do. So we model it and then have the tools and resources to raise these kids up in leadership and entrepreneurship and all the tools that they need so that they can live abundantly going forward, not just be handed something and then it all crashes and burns. And I love that you you frame it in the terms of leadership because that's exactly what it is. Sometimes as a leader, we got to do some tough things. As a parent, we have to do some tough things. And I, and I think it's, it's hugely important. What We live in a society where, where we've demonized money. We shouldn't be talking about money. Oh my God, I grew up in a house that it's impolite to talk about money. And so it's taboo. So we never talk about money and people don't learn except through observation, but who are they, who are they watching? And so I think, and, and for those of you that are parents out there, you start having conversations around money with your kids early. You know, my, my son 
I start, I start paying him a commission at 10 and a half, 11 years old. And we start having conversations about generosity, about saving, about wealth, and not for the greed purpose, but for the higher purpose, the greater purpose. And here he is, he's 32, almost 32 in a week. His wife is 29. They have, you know, my granddaughter is seven months old, three homes and a multi-million dollar net worth. And I feel like he's well-adjusted. They're thinking through things. They're, they're doing things in, in a good way. And it's not about greed and it's not about the money. It's about living a life. And I think we're doing a disservice to sit back and say, oh, I shouldn't talk about money. And uh, I think we ought to be talking about it all the time. And, and then giving them the right perspective and then giving them the tools and the skills and, and, and whatever, whatever they need to, to deal with it right. And not just set them free and think that, oh, they'll figure it out. They might, but most of them don't from the statistics. Right, right. Something I like to ask the leaders that come on the show is what role did your parents, good or bad, play in in your leadership and, and where you are today? Um, I think for some, it's it's a tremendous gift of what they were taught. And for others, it was like, here's exactly what not to do and let me bang you up a little bit. Yeah. I had two great parents. Um, mm. So I'm, I feel blessed. And my mom's still with us. And, uh, but my dad passed away about 11 years ago, but I, I just, a quick story about my, my dad that will kind of bring perspective to, to things. Both my, my parents were born in Baghdad. They were Jews born in Baghdad. My dad was 17 years old. My mom was 13 years old at the time when this happened. And they were when they were persecuting the Jews, my dad was, was getting Jews out of Baghdad and smuggling guns in. So I'm a son of a gun runner. And, uh, and in the process, there was five of them doing this. Two of them got caught. And my dad wasn't one that got caught. They took their grandparents' name. So my last name, family name is not really Abraham. It was my granddad's name and got fake papers. They helped the other two escape and they got smuggled across to Iran and to Israel. And my dad came to the States and my dad told me the story. I had him tell me the story four days before he passed. I didn't know he was going to pass away four days later. And I asked him this question and I said, why? At 17 years old, I know what I was thinking about at 17 years old. You knew at 17 years old that if they found you, they were going to hang you in the square as an example. Why would you do this? And he's sitting in his wheelchair and he looked at me and as as a spark in his eyes says, because it was the right thing to do. And when I look back on dad's life and I look back on what he taught me, he was a quiet man. But that lesson of always do, trying to do the right thing, just because it's the right thing to do, no matter what the sacrifice is, I think that that's permeated everything I do. And so I could sit back. I don't, I don't need to work. I don't need to do this. But the right thing to do, I think, is to serve, to, to do that. And so I think dad's in my mind, in my heart, in my soul every day. And then my mom with the connection with the family. So dad was an engineer. We didn't have money. You know, we lived, we lived okay, but we weren't rich. We weren't, you know, we we're driving used cars, things like that. But the values, the connection, and trying to do the right thing, I think really had a huge impact on me. Yep. 
That's beautiful. I love hearing stories like that. And I love hearing when um, people can look back on those lessons and that wisdom and have it woven into the fabric of who they are and the work that they do. And it's, it's really cool to witness that in you. So thank you for sharing it and sharing your parents with us. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that our listeners will want to come hunt you down after this episode if they haven't already. So can you tell us where are the best places to, to find you, resources, tools, anything you've got? Um, I'd love to shout it from the rooftops. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. So uh, I'm on Instagram, Mel Abraham nine. I have no idea the first eight, but I'm going to hunt them down. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and I have my, my website, melabraham.com. I have uh, my, my podcast and show is a financial show and my YouTube channel where we talk about this. Um, we have resources on my website, a, a seven day workshop on money that, that will help you create an unshakable foundation. All of that stuff's there. The biggest thing is this for me. If you're trying to figure out the money side, if you're trying to figure out this, this piece, ask a question, reach out, send me a DM. I'm more than happy. I bring it on the show. I answer the questions. And someone has called me the Dave Ramsey for entrepreneurs. So uh, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. And That's a pretty solid compliment. It certainly is. So, so I think that those are the places. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is I'm an open book and I'm more than happy to help out uh, as best I can for anyone, especially someone that's on this journey. Cause I know that through entrepreneurship, we can solve uh, pretty much any entrepreneurship and communication can solve any of the problems that we have in our world. And, and if we could just get that through the thick skulls of other people, we'd be okay. That's part two. I could go off on a rant about that. So uh, thank you so much for bringing your wisdom and your gifts to us and our audience. And I'm going to link to everything in the show notes so people can easily find you, Mel. But, oh, we have to we have to like full circle the story that I opened up with. So the reason that you were slinking through the audience, oh, yeah. why don't you just tell our listeners so that they don't think that you were just some random creep walking up and down the aisle. <laughs> I'm some creeper that goes to seminars and walks around the audience. So I, in in a uh, at one point, I've been in the martial arts now for forty plus years. You can see the certificates over here. I lived in Japan and and trained under someone who was seventeenth generation samurai. And so at one point, I was doing protective services. I was doing bodyguard work. And uh, my dear dear friend Brendan Richard, when his events started to get larger, I said, "Dude, man, you need someone there to kind of." control the crowd and help you out. And he says, well, do you want to do it? I said, sure. So I kind of came out of bodyguard retirement and was doing kind of security and calling the show and I'm backstage and doing all that. So I help, I've helped Brendan for, we've done a 90 some, almost a hundred shows together uh, where I'm calling the show backstage with him. And I'm also acting as security for him. And so, yes, I was in the audience uh, just kind of sneaking around for that reason, and not because I'm a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, I'm glad you were because that was my first exposure to you. And um, now our paths cross in a more meaningful way, and I'm grateful for it. So thank you for your time today, Mel. And I look forward to getting this into the earbuds of our listeners because it'll be really impactful. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. My pleasure. 
I hope today's episode gave you exactly what you needed. And if it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next juicy episode. And don't be shy. I don't bite often. So come connect with me over on Instagram at Eliz Hartke. And if there's a topic or a question, a guest you want to hear on the show or an idea you have for us, just reach out and share your thoughts. We do this for you. So the more you tell us, the more we can serve. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. So tune in next time to keep building that legacy and doing the work that really matters.